Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. You can find that on page 1211 of the Pew Bible, 1211. 1 John chapter 3. And we'll be considering verses 10 through 24 this evening. Last week we looked at how to discern between deception and truth by looking at those who are of Antichrist and those who are of Christ. And this evening we're going to look at how John concludes that argument. And he does so by by, uh, expressing uh, the defining characteristic of what it means to be of Christ. And so we will look to that this evening, seeing what that defining characteristic is. Hear now the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of the living and true God from 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let us ask His blessing upon it this evening. Holy Father, Your Word has been proclaimed. Your Word has gone forth. And Lord, we ask that You would add a blessing now 
to the reading of it. And as Your Word has gone forth, as it has been proclaimed, Lord, let our ears be open to receive that Word with gladness and with joy. Lord, we ask that You would bless our hearing of this Holy Word. And Lord, now as we approach the proclamation, the preaching of this Word, we ask, Lord, that uh, I would diminish so that You would be magnified. That this uh, preaching would not be simply the words of man. That it would not be in the wisdom of man, but it would be the very Word of God going forth in the wisdom of God. And so, Lord, we ask that You would bless the preaching of the Word this evening. Let our hearts receive this good news. Let our hearts be pricked to action. Let us be spurned on to love one another. So Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. What do you think is the hardest thing to do in this life? Some of you may be thinking about parenting and the challenges that come with that. I'm sure that some of you who have nine children can tell me all about the struggles of parenting. Others of you may be thinking about uh, being a Christian in this present culture and how that is the hardest thing to do because we're constantly facing opposition and persecution. Some of you seminary students who are here this evening may be thinking that surviving Greek class is the hardest thing to do in this life. I know that it crossed my mind a couple of times. And while all of those things are difficult and can be extremely difficult at times, I'm not convinced that they're the hardest things to do in this life. Now, I am convinced from my own personal experience that loving other people is among the hardest things that we have to do in this life. People are messy. They have baggage which makes things difficult. It sometimes makes building and maintaining relationships seem more like a chore than a joy. And then you combine that with the fact that we're all sinful creatures who sin against one another and you have the making for an incredibly difficult task. But as difficult as it may be, loving one another is not simply something that we should do. It's something that we are commanded to do. The Christian life is a life of being involved in the mess of people. It's a life of getting involved in people's lives and caring for them even in the midst of their messiness. It's a life of forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. 
It's a life of living with one another, caring for one another, fellowshipping with one another, praying for one another, discipling one another, and loving one another. That is the Christian life. And this is what John highlights in our passage this evening. So friends, we must love one another in our pursuit of Christian fellowship. We must love one another in our pursuit of Christian fellowship. And I want us to consider this command to love one another by looking at two aspects of this love. First, I want us to consider the action of love. And then second, the assurance of love. So first, the action of love. John ties this portion of our text to the previous one with the explicit statement that this is the defining characteristic of those who are of Christ. And we see this in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He's reiterating those two great commands that we are to practice righteousness and we are to love our brother. It's a It's a reiteration of we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is what John is saying defines one who is of Christ. If you are of Christ, you must have love for one another. Love is not an option For the Christian, love is not to be held hostage by our changing emotions. Love is an attitude that we cultivate and it's a pattern of behavior that we embrace. It's not this fleeting emotional sensation that we associate with love in our worldly understanding. No, it's it's true And it's genuine, abiding love that is rooted in something that is everlasting. Worldly, emotional love can go away. It can dissipate. But true, abiding love for one another is rooted in something that can never fade. It's rooted in our union with Christ. And just as our union with Christ cannot be broken, it cannot be shaken, it cannot be moved, so must it be with our love for one another. Our love for one another must never be shaken, broken, or moved. Nothing can be done which breaks the bond of love that we have for one another because in our union with Christ, we are united with one another. There is a bond that cannot be broken. Far too often we think that love can be dismantled by someone sliding us, by someone offending us, or even by someone sinning against us. But that shouldn't be the case. 
Our love that we have for one another should not be ever-changing depending on how someone acts towards us. And so this is why forgiveness and reconciliation within the body is so vital. You cannot hate your brother and claim the banner of Christ at the same time. There must be a genuine affection for all of Christ's saints. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and because of that, because of our union with one another in Christ, we must have a brotherly love for one another. John does something here in our text which is interesting. He argues this point not from a positive example, but from a negative one. He doesn't say, look to this person and see how they rightly loved their brother. Instead, he uses the example of Cain as a negative example for us to avoid. He's basically saying, look to the example of Cain to see what brother, true brotherly love does not look like and then don't fall into the same snare of sin that he did. And so John writes, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. This is our example of brotherly love. Or in this case, this is our example of what is not brotherly love. Cain is the prime example of a non-believer because he was of the wicked one. His works were evil. He abode in death and he hated his brother. John's drawing on the parallel between Cain and the world and Abel, the Christian. So we are to not be like Cain who looked on his brother in jealousy and hatred which led him to murdering Abel. That is becoming like the world. That's becoming like an unbeliever. We should not be the ones who are uh, hating and, and, and going against our fellow Christians. The world will hate your brothers and sisters all on their own. Don't join them being like them and hating your fellow saints as well. And I know that the likelihood of one of you here this evening rising up against a brother and striking him down to physical death is nil. But what about your heart? Has a fellow believer wronged you and have you allowed a root of bitterness to take hold within your heart? Do your words concerning a fellow saint tear down and destroy? Or do they build up and edify? <clears throat> Look at your heart and see if this is the case. Because this could be evidence that you're not in the faith, that you're not in fellowship with Christ and His people. 
And John makes that point. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you have something against your brother, go to him and be restored. Repent of the hatred of your heart and be renewed in a right relationship with him. Because this is what we must do as believers. We must have love for one another. But I don't want you to think that I don't believe that this congregation has love for one another. I do. I have seen your love for one another time after time. I've seen the love of Christ displayed in this place. People embracing one another in true godly Christian fellowship. People reaching out to others within the congregation who are in need of care. I've seen people willing to go the extra mile in order to love and care for their fellow believers. You truly are examples of what John is speaking of in verses 16 and 17. I know that most, if not all of you, would be willing to lay your life down for your brothers and for your sisters around you. I know that you give to one another according to each one's need out of the abundance of the worldly goods that the Lord has blessed you with. So please don't think that your love for one another in this place has gone unnoticed. I know that I'm not the only one who sees it. I know your elders see it and they rejoice that the love of Christ is flowing forth from the saints here. And so I want to encourage you in this to continue in this love for one another. Displaying your love of Christ in your fellowship with one another and displaying not only to one another, but also to the world that you truly are Christ's disciples because you have love for the brethren. Let us all continue on in loving one another, not simply in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Because this, dear brothers and sisters, this is the action of love. But this action of love is not the only thing that John speaks to here in our text. So let's continue on now looking to the assurance of love. Now, we've already talked about assurance in this sermon series. Uh, Back in chapter 2, John gives this test of faith, this test by which we can be assured of our standing in Christ. And he continues that thought here in this passage, linking our assurance to the love that we have in Christ and the love that we have for one another. He says that it is by this love, this love that we have for one another, that we may know that we are of the truth. This love that we have for one another is one of those tests of faith, one of those reassuring characteristics of being a Christian. 
He says that this love that we have for one another reassures our hearts that we are in Him. But our hearts can deceive us. Our hearts are still tainted by sin. There is still that indwelling sin which remains in us. And so our hearts can deceive us into thinking that we are not of Him. But John says that we are to appeal not to our consciences, but to the greatness of God as our sufficient Savior, as the loving restorer of our souls. Our hearts condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. And so we look to that love that we have in Him in Christ Jesus. We look to our positional standing in Christ. Something that does not change. But there will be times where our faith falters, where our assurance wavers. Our confession of faith says that our assurance can be shaken, diminished, and intermitted in various ways. If that's you today, if your, if your assurance is shaken, diminished, and intermitted, do not fear. Do not let this moment of having your assurance shaken drive you to the pits of despair. But instead, take hold of Christ Jesus, your Savior. Trust in the Spirit to feed your weary soul by the ordinary means of grace that's presented to you this evening. If this is you, if this, if this is you who has a shaken assurance, examine your heart to make sure that this lack of assurance doesn't stem from you falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the Spirit. And if it is, cry out to the Lord in repentance. Plead with Him to cleanse you from the stain of sin and ask Him to empower you by His Spirit to put to death the sin that is in your life. And hold fast to the truth and the surety of your union with Christ. Pray. Pray unto the Lord, Lord, I have failed and I have fallen. But I am persuaded that God has broken into my heart and I have become a new creature in Christ. I love His people, sinful and poor though they may be, and I love Christ before all others. Let that be your prayer. Rest in what is true even when you don't feel it. Believe the truth that in due time your assurance may be revived. Cry out to the Lord to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Trust what the Scripture says in verse 22. That whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. If you ask, he will give out of His abundance. He will hear the pleading of your heart and He will 
answer your prayers. We can be assured that we are in Christ if we love one another. If we keep His commandments and do what is pleasing to Him. So what is the commandment that we are to keep? John gives us that answer. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. You know, the verb that's translated here that we believe is in the aorist tense. And if only I were still in Pastor Jeff's Greek class, I might get bonus points for making mention of this. But the aorist tense, you may recall from some of his teaching, means that this action is timeless. It doesn't refer to any particular point in time, but to a great fact, something that is true and fixed and lasting. It points to the faith uh, of one who has believed, continues to believe, and will go on believing. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the belief that John is speaking of. There's not a subjective nature to the tie between belief and salvation. It's fact. It's absolute fact. You will be saved. And so that belief that you had in the beginning is what you continue to have and what you go on having is the same belief. And so let that belief be an anchor which grounds you in your relationship with Christ Jesus. We can be assured of our standing in Christ if we do not forsake the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We can be assured of our standing in Christ if we remain steadfast in that truth. If we keep on believing just as we believed in Him when we first came in repentance. This is key to being assured, to knowing that you are in Christ. We must keep on believing. But that's just half of the commandment. Yes, continued, perpetual, unending, timeless belief is absolutely necessary for one to be of Christ, but so too is loving one another. Oftentimes in Scripture, union with Christ is spoken of in terms of a marriage. And in fact, marriage is a type of the greater reality, which is our union with Christ. And so a helpful way to think of this is in terms of a marital relationship. If I simply believed that I was married to Brooke and I continuously believed that fact and I looked back on my wedding day and I reminisced on that day while looking at photographs and thinking about memories, I could have knowledge of the relationship that I have with her. 
But what if that was all that I did? What if all I did was think about the relationship that I had with Brooke, but I never displayed love for her? If I never displayed love for my wife, would I have confidence that my relationship with her is truly there? That it's solid and that it will not fail? Well, of course not. Now, I know like all analogies, this one breaks down eventually and it fails to fully describe what's being spoken of here. But I think the essence is there. How can you have assurance of your standing in Christ if there is no fruit of that relationship? I mentioned last week that we will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. If your life is not bearing the fruit of love for one another in Christ Jesus, then that ought to give you pause to consider whether or not that relationship is actually there. But if your faith is wavering, if your assurance is fading, then you ought to look to the fruit that is there as a reminder and as an assurance that you truly are in Christ. Let the love that you have for the saints be an encouragement and an assuring factor that you are in Christ. Because those who are in the world, those who are of Antichrist, do not have love for the saints here in this place. If you have love for one another, that is an assurance that you are of Christ because those who are not of Christ do not have love for one another. So let that be an encouragement to you. Friends, I pray that this word to you this evening is an encouragement. I pray that it lights a fire in your hearts to continue in the work of loving one another. Do not be discouraged when times of strife or conflict arise, but instead do as Christ instructs you to do and go to your brother in love and be restored. Let your love for one another be put on display for the world to see so that they cannot have a word against you in this regard when they mount their assault against you and against Christ's church. And let your love for one another serve as the assurance for your soul when times of doubt and lacking of assurance come. Hold fast to the ordinary means of grace whereby the Lord promises to feed and nourish His saints. Look to the love that you have in Christ Jesus because of your union with Him and let that be the firm foundation upon which your assurance is built. And then let your obedience to His commands to continue in this perpetual unending belief be the bricks by which this house of assurance is built. And then finally, let your love for one another be the mortar which holds everything together. That great mortar that holds us together in the bonds of unity. Because loving one another is the inevitable fruit 
of believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So dear brothers and sisters, let us be a people known for our love for one another. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we do thank You that You have united us together in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that You have knit us together in the bonds of unity. And because of that, we must have love for one another. So Lord, we ask that Your Spirit would work in us to drive us to loving one another in a deeper and greater way. Thank You, Lord, for how the love of Christ has been put on display in this place. Thank You, Lord, for how this congregation truly does love one another. But Lord, there is always room to grow and improve. So Lord, let us grow even more in our love for one another. Let us grow even more in our display of that love. And let that love be so great that it becomes a beacon to the world so that they look upon us and all they can see is the love of Christ displayed to one another. So Lord, let this be true of us. Let this truth be a comfort to our souls when we become downcast, when we become wearisome. And let us hold fast to the cross of Christ. Apply these truths to our heart. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.